Uh, welcome back to the Talking Movies Podcast. My name is Corey. Chris and Chris are with me. Hello. Hi. We are here yet again talking about, um, what are we talking about? Bong Joon-ho's Mother. Uh, not to be confused with Mother, which is a different movie. Um, a lot of exclamation points or non-exclamation points in, in these, in these sets of films, I guess. Um, but uh, we like um, do we always do talk about a little bit of what we've been watching. We'll like to start with Chris this time. Um, so I'm gonna start with actually something that I picked up on um, from reading Bong Juno's sight and sound list for the 2022 edition. Um, out of curiosity, always really like those lists with, from directors because sometimes they're very forthright. These are my ten most most beloved films. Sometimes it's Wes Anderson, uh, here's 10 French movies. And um, sometimes it's really clear, like, these are 10 movies that um, just really, you know, I just really love. I'm not going to rank, you know, I think a lot of directors don't rank things. Um, or if they do, the best is what influenced them and just sticks with them the most, which I think is the case for a lot of us. Um, and uh, so based off of that, I picked up a J-Horror movie I have not seen. Um, I had heard of it before, but not uh, not seen it called Cure. Um and um, overall, like you know, you can see from this kind of movie uh, the influence on something like Memories of Murder, um, and how it's taking just the overall aura of despair um, and and kind of hopelessness and and permeating it throughout the film. Um, Cure is directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who I think not, I think many of us are familiar with him. Um, he did Pulse. Yes. Um, which I think is probably more popular than Cure, but um, but anyway, um, like Cure is Cure is basically there appears to be a serial killer looming in Tokyo, um, carving an X into each victim. Um, except it's not really a serial killer because they are constantly arresting different people for the crime. Why is everybody cry- carving an X into the the victims? Um, why is there this consistency? And you have a hardened. Uh, detective um, uh, Detective Takabe um, and a police psychologist um, basically called in to, to try and figure out why this series of murders is going on, um, what the common thread is. Um, they pull back some layers and, and uncover you know, that a lot of this is rooted in, in hypnotism and just mentalism and uh, it's really dark without being supernatural, without being uh, fan- fantastic! It just feels very mundane and and just rippingly chilly. Um, I think is maybe a really good way to explain it. Uh, this is from '97, uh, so a lot of movies. I think most of us are familiar with Ringu and and other movies of that ilk and Memories of Murder. I'm gonna lump in with this because just this really really articulates the essence of despair throughout the movie and you know the ending's going to be hopeless from the start the light is not going to shine um at the end of this movie and it, and um i think that's what jhar often does really well of the jhar i've seen it keeps itself grounded while being terrifying uh i think you know maybe something i mentioned last time with when we talked about halloween um is Halloween ends. Myers gets up, runs, you know, you don't see him anymore. Um, and just the overall presentation of that movie as you can never, uh, people move to the suburbs to escape evil, but the evil's 
always there. Like Michael Myers is not dying. The shit, he's he's going to be in existence. That evil will always be stalking and looming in the background. The most terrifying part of that movie. Um, I think a lot of a lot of horror movies throughout have presented that as the a theme beyond what we see on see in the movie. That you know there is unfortunately you know you're gonna leave and realize the sense of despair at the at some point. Um, anyway, cure. Uh, the despair is is rust in front of you through the whole movie. Um, very well made, and again, very easy to see why and how it, it it's loved by Bong Juno. Yeah, I uh, I I'm awful. I I I haven't seen any Kiyoshi Kurosawa films, but I I own Pulse. I own Cure. I own uh, Before We Vanish, which is one of his more recent films. And I just pre-ordered from Third Window Films, comes out in October or November, um, an older Japanese film from like 1992 from him. I can't remember what the title is right now, but yeah, I'm just like collecting all these uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa films. And I haven't watched a single one of them because I'm, I'm the absolute worst. But Fuhrer has always had the reputation of being like his absolute best. Um, no surprise that that's the one that has the Criterion release. Um, been waiting for it for years and years. It was only ever available streaming through like Filmstruck and stuff because Criterion's had it in their back pocket for like a decade now, and they just released it last year, I think. All right, um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure. Uh, let's move on to me. Um, did Chris I'd... have any others? No, that's yeah. what I wanted. I'd... Oh, okay. I right. talk about. I'm sorry. We can't all talk about everything, Chris. <laughs> um, but I'll try uh, by talking about one thing. Um, we have been watching TV, as I've said in the previous ones, or will say in the future ones, depending on the order of operations here. But uh, we finished the first two seasons, which are the only two seasons right now, of The Bear. Um, incredible, incredible television series about um, a Chicago-area restaurant where its uh, owner, um, Michael, has just committed suicide. He has left it to his brother, Carmen, or Carmi, or Bear, because their last name is Barago, um, who, who is trying to um, get it all together. Um, Michael did not sign up for like all the licenses that he really needed to run this restaurant, but he was still running the business. It was going into deep decks. Um, and he has uh, an old family friend who is also a Chicago mob boss, uh, it seems like. Um, if not a boss, then someone who has uh, deep ties to, to shady underworlds um, and deep pockets to go along with it, who is, uh, they're getting loans from him because they can't get loans from anywhere else. Uh, they owe the IRS a lot of money because, again, Michael did not run this organization very well. Um... And it's really, uh, oh, and Carmi is a um, former uh, head chef of a three Michelin star restaurant. So he's coming back to this, like, the uh, hole in the wall place. Um, but it's, it's really, really good, uh, compelling television. Um, Ayo Agaberry, who has been in a couple of things very recently uh, across the Spider-Verse, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, plays the sous chef, 
who is uh, relatively inexperienced, but um, joins uh, joins as uh, Carmi's sous chef. Um, and then there is the rest of the the people that they inherit from the um, from the restaurant. At first, they're kind of antagonistic toward Carmi because he's trying to instill all this like fancy French dining things, which is really just like organizing the kitchen. Uh, and eventually, it works out, and they they start to get um, more organized within the kitchen, um, and they want to open their own restaurant. They get rid of the beef they call the bear um where the the show comes from and it's also berzago their last name but they call him bear regardless uh they're all bear um him mikey and his sister natalie um but yeah a great great cast of characters the first season is very much about um everyone getting on getting on board with carmy's vision the second season is more about Carmi realizing that, like, he now has a support system around him that can help him out, and and um, like he doesn't have to do this restaurant thing alone. It's not like his old restaurant where um, his his old boss, uh, played by Joel McHale, who plays uh, a great asshole yet again, um, who is verbally abusive toward him. Um, but yeah, if you if you like uh, things about cooking or just uh, chaotic um, kitchen things, this is just a really really good show to watch. It's on Hulu, which is convenient. Yeah, probably the most acclaimed sh- recent show that I've seen in the blogosphere, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious, but I don't. I don't watch reality cooking shows let alone <laughs> scripted cooking shows. Yeah. I mean, it's not like about the cooking. They don't go deep, deep into that, but... Well, it looks like it's a lot of time in the kitchen and people it yelling is. at each other and stuff like it's, that, which... Uh, to, to begin with, yeah, it's a lot of people yelling at each other, but they they become much more of a cohesive unit by even the end of season one. Yeah. Would Gordon Ramsay be proud? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think he wants more chaos in this. <laughs> all right but that was the bear chris what do you got for us okay so i'm gonna try to go through this as quickly as possible because i realized i watched a lot more like really good interesting stuff this month like usually it's a lot of like okay things that i don't want to don't care to talk about but I, I watched a lot of really interesting stuff um i forgot to mention when we recorded for john carpenter uh, my other nick cage adjacent film which is actually a nick cage film I watched his latest, Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, it's basically a two-hander between him and Joel Kinnaman. Um, Nick Cage plays this dude who may or may not be the devil. Um, he's got red hair and a red suit. You know, It really gives off those vibes. Just gets in Joel Kinnaman's car while he's at the hospital to go see his pregnant wife, who's in labor, and says, you know, you're going to drive me someplace. And uh, a lot of people compare it a lot to Collateral, I think it's very, it's got a lot of very different things in mind than Collateral did, but it is essentially dude forces another dude to drive him around um, and crimes are committed. Um, it, I thought it was a good movie. I liked it. Um, just want to shout it out because it's Nick Cage, although his accent is all over the fucking place. So if you want unintentionally <laughs> funny Nick Cage, you can also get that with Sympathy for the Devil. Um, I also, I went and saw the new horror film, Du Jour, 
Octomy, A24's release of an Australian film directed by a couple of fucking YouTubers. Uh, Talk to Me was fantastic. Absolutely stellar. It's, it's, it's demon possession as a party trick, and it's really fun. It's visually very interesting, and it gets really dark. Um, excellent. Talk to Me was, is excellent. If you haven't seen it, definitely recommend it. Um, I finally watched My Own Private Idaho, which is uh, River Phoenix's big movie directed by Gus Van Sant, uh, co-starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix play a couple of male uh, hustlers uh, slash prostitutes is the, the more accurate term. Um, River Phoenix is in love with Keanu Reeves. It's it's like it was not what I expected. Like the movie is like this interesting pop art explosion. Like there's a lot of really interesting things. There's a whole scene where it's a wall of magazine covers, and then like Keanu is on the magazine cover, but then he starts talking to the viewer, and like the people in the other magazine covers are like moving around, and like it's it's visually very interesting, and it's it's not. It's not heavy-handed. It's not like this super dramatic film. It's very funny. It's very sweet. It does have a sadness to it. Um, this is the movie where I finally am like, I can understand why people were, were super bummed out when Re River Phoenix died. Because um, before, I had only seen him in Indiana Jones and uh, Stand By Me. And I'm like, yeah, no, he was a good actor. But like, people were really fucking crushed when he died in Johnny Depp's club. Um, and I can see why now, like he, he was such a promising young actor in my own private Idaho. It, absolutely excellent. Um, and then I watched, uh, <laughs> I, I had talked about a couple of his movies in a previous pod. Um, he was, he, he used to go by the name of Sogo Ishii, but now he goes by the name of Gakurio Ishii. Um, previously I had talked, I had watched Crazy Thunder Road and Electric Dragon, eighty thousand volts. Um, and this month, I finally sat down to watch uh, his more most recent film, which is actually already like four or five years old. Um, but it was released by Third Window Films uh, at the same time as Electric Dragon, and it's called Punk Samurai Slashdown. Um, this movie was amazing. Um, when I wrote it up on Letterboxd, I prefaced with, like, this is why I love Japanese movies. Um, because it's it's not, like, Japanese cinema is so much more than, like, oh, they're weird. They're strange. Japanese cinema is weird. Which is really, like, there's an imperialist, there's a uh, condescending attitude that comes with that tone. Like, oh, they're just those wacky Japanese people. But... Japanese cinema, like this is why I really love anime. It's they they are wildly creative and they don't have these bizarre social restrictions on fictional storytelling. Like in America, everybody's obsessed with it has to be realistic. Oh, that would never happen in real life. Like all this horseshit. It's like you're making fiction. Be creative. Have fun. Um and American movies very rarely do that. They, they're, they're beholden to realism. Superheroes are the most unrealistic thing ever. But all these Marvel movies, they have to have some kind of that grounded, slightly gritty, you know, this. what if this actually happened in real life vibe to them? 
And Punk Samurai Slashdown is like this ode to unbounded creativity. Um, this movie goes in so many fucking places. I was tickled pink from start to finish. Had no idea what was going to happen next. And then when the next thing happened, I was just smiling and in awe. Um, the, the, the basic idea is there's this Ronin samurai who goes into a kingdom and he is basically lying. He makes up a story that this super dangerous cult called the Belly Shakers has just destroyed another prefecture and is on their way to this prefecture. And so he uses that lie to gain employment with the shogun of that prefecture. Um, and then one, uh, one of the two retainers to the shogun is like, you're full of shit, whatever, ha, 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 get out of here. And the other one's like, no, I think there might be something to this. Um, so they, they, they shame the naysayer retainer to the point where the shogun fires him and sends him off somewhere else to be a monkey trainer. So there's this whole subplot of training monkeys for, uh, for performance. Um, and then the Ronin and the other retainer, they go off and they try to investigate um, so that they can stop this belly shaker cult. But they find out that all the belly shakers were killed. And so there is no more cult. So what they do is they find like the one surviving member of the belly shaker cult who is played by Tadanobu Asano. He pops up very frequently. Um, and so they go to him and they convince him to start the cult up again so that they create the threat so that they have something to fight against. Otherwise they lose face. And it just, it goes, it goes places, man. It goes places. I if I would punk samurai slash down one of my favorites that I've watched this month for the first time, like the movie's amazing. There's a monkey army. There's a talking ape. Um, there's telekinesis there. Like it's, it's unbounded creativity. That movie is absolutely buck wild. Um, and, uh, the last one I'll talk about real quick. I finally watched the double feature on that Blu-ray. I talked about, Last month, uh, I, the film was The Broken Mirror, a uh, French film from the 70s. This second film on the disc from the same director is called Unquiet Death, La Mort Trouble. Um, that was his first film, so it's from like 1971. This was really, really good. Um, this is a, it's like a, a Boonwell film. Like I felt like it was the exterminating angel at times. Um, but it's it's this takedown of the bourgeoisie. It's about these three super rich chicks who they're visiting their rich uncle, and the uncle dies while they're there. And they're like, well, we need to leave, and we got to get the dead body out of here. So they try to leave, but they're on an island because the rich uncle's castle was on an island, and the boat people are not uh, operating anymore, and they try calling them, and they're like, this is an emergency. Shut up. And... So the, these three women who are really awful, um, they're stuck in this house with their dead uncle and his butler. And the butler uses a, um, blackmail to reverse the roles. So now the, the proletariat, the, the working class, is now in a position of power above the bourgeoisie. And he is cruel. 
Um, like he he makes these women like it's there's a misogyny to it of what he does to them um, because it's all about haha I have the power now and he immediately abuses that power um, but it's visually fascinating and then at one point they leave the castle and the rest of the movie is just bizarre shit happening on the island and it's super weird like um things just happen there's not connective tissue they're not going from plot a to plot b it's kind of a lot like daisies which uh the other chris talked about a couple months ago where it's all uh very political um it's all very you know there's some feminism in there but which is made awkward because of the misogyny of the the butler um it's very you know anti-bourgeoisie and stuff like that and so it's just events happening um which there's no longer a plot you're not following anything you're just watching this strange shit happen um and i found that very intellectually stimulating very invigorating it's a very fresh movie you don't see movies like this every day um this that was really really good um i would almost like i think the broken mirror is better but like i would recommend people pick up the blu-ray more for unquiet death because that is just such a fucking out there uh avant-garde um political french film so yeah okay all right um Sympathy for the Devil, Talk to Me, My Own Private Guy, Home, Punk, Samurai, Slash, Down, uh, and Unquiet Death, or Le More Trouble, Trouble, I'm not going to correct Trouble. Whatever. Um, it doesn't have the accent on the E, so it's not Trouble. Um, Who knows? That's, that's as much as I know. Let's take a short break, and we'll talk about Mother on the other side. talk about Bong Joon-ho again. Um, this is his 2009 film Mother, um, directed by Bong Joon-ho, written by Bong Joon-ho and Park Yun-kyo. Uh, I keep looking up who his co-writers are on these movies, and they have done like nothing of note from from uh, uh, an American audience, is my takeaway so far. Um, the cinematographer is Hong-kyo Hong Hong Kyung Po, who uh, worked with him again on Snowpiercer and Parasite. Um, the mother is uh, unnamed, plagued by Kim Hee-ja, who is uh, the proclaimed um, mother of Korea, uh, mother of the nation. Um, when uh, Bong was writing the script for, uh, for Mother, he wrote the role for her after watching a warm maternal image from decades of TV dramas, and the storyboards in the script uh, named the mother character as just Hija uh, after the actress. Um, the uh, other main character is Won Bin, who plays Yon Gujon, who is the adult mother, well, the adult mother, thank you, brain, adult son of 
of mother. Uh, he has an intellectual disability and he is accused of murdering a local girl. Um, the final of the kind of main trio is Jin Gu, who plays Jin Tai. Uh, he's a local ne'er do well, as Wikipedia says, and a friend of Go Jun. Uh, he kind of bosses him around, but um, he agrees to help Mother to help free the son. Um, but moving on to the plot summary here. Uh, facts and information, as always, from Karen Hahn's excellent book, Discount Cinema. Um, the film opens with uh, and closes with the mother dancing, open, opening in a field with the mother, mother by herself. Uh, Kim... Fun fact was actually embarrassed to dance alone, so behind the camera and in behind the scenes footage, you can see Bong and the crew dancing along with her. Um, I did not delve into that, but I, I have to go back and, and look for that. Uh, Go Jun is an outcast in the neighborhood, and he's kind of taken advantage of by Jin Kai. Um, Wan Bin, both before and since the film, who played Go Jun, is known in Korea as a major celebrity and heartthrob. Uh, Bong actually did not see him as a strong candidate for the role, but changed his mind after meeting with Wong. He added the line, his lines are like a work of art, like a deer's, after casting him. Uh, so it's kind of interesting and fun that he plays this, um, this person with an intellectual disability, um, given his, uh, given his state in Korea. But Bong suggested that the uncomfortably close relationship between the mother and son they actually sleep in the same bag, and the son is seen groping the mother at one point. Uh, c contains echoes of Norman Bates' relationship with his mother in Hitchcock's Psycho. Bong said, if Norman's mother was alive, wouldn't their relationship be similar? Um, have either of you seen Psycho? I know we were talking about it, like, off-air, off, off air, but... Oh, I absolutely have, many, yeah. many times. Yes. Okay. We finally have a Bong reference that, we, that we've seen. I've not seen Psycho, actually, but... Um, it's uh it's actually it's it's interesting like uh so yeah I get the psycho reference but uh I would recommend the TV show prequel uh, Bates Motel that really mm. that really crosses into this territory much more so than the actual text of Psycho um the relationship between Norman Bates and his mother is is not text in Psycho it's it's implied uh, due to reasons that would spoil the movie if somehow the 60-year-old film hasn't been spoiled for you. Right. Um, but yeah, Bates Motel, which takes a couple seasons to really start firing on all cylinders, but that really crosses into this this similar territory. Okay. Um, back to Mother. The opening scenes uh, of the, the movie proper is Mother chopping some dried herbs. She's looking out of her shop at Gojun, who is with Jingtai. Um, you see her finger get closer and closer to the chopping thing as she's looking and not really paying attention to what she's chopping. And then, uh, Gojun gets hit by a car, and at the same time, she does cut her finger on the chopper. Um, she immediately goes out and tries to see if Gojun is okay. She says, oh no, you're bleeding. And I didn't really get whether, um, whether it was her blood that was on him or he was yeah. legitimately bleeding. No, but it was all her blood. <laughs> Um, Gojun and Jingtai chase after the car. They eventually find it in a golf course. Jingtai kicks the the mirror off of the car, and Gojun tries to do the same, drop kicking the other mirror, but whips it completely. Uh, they get into a fight on the golf course, who uh, with uh, prestigious professors who were in the car and did the hit and run. 
the police just say just let it go from both sides um you you kind of beat up on each other and we'll we'll call all things equal at this point and the professors say the mirror was kicked off um and that's when the police are like okay we got we kind of got to do something about this but jing tai says why did you kick off the mirror to go shun and Goshun, not really catching up with things here, says uh, he sighs, asking why he kicked the mirror. Um, the scene kind of showcases how Goshun is in this society with his quote-unquote friend, Jingtai. Um, Jingtai takes advantage of him at seemingly any opportunity. Um, so later on, he gets invited out by Jingtai for drinks. And after Jingtai no-shows, he falls asleep, and he's awoken... Uh, yeah, he falls asleep at the bar. He's woken by the workers who just tell him to go home. On his way home, he sees an all, a high school girl at Moon Ajong, who and follows her to an abandoned building. Uh, she is found dead on that building the next morning. We don't see what happened in the interim. Um, the rest of the police, or the rest of the movie, is the mother trying to convince the uh, entire world, seemingly, that her son is innocent. The police find one of the golf balls that he was fishing out of the water on the course before they running before they ran into the professors at the police station. He was writing their name on them. Uh, that was at the scene of the crime. Um, mother breaks into Jing Tai's apartment, convinced that he was actually the murderer, uh, and framed uh, Goshun for this. He she takes a golf club from um, from his closet as he has sex with his girlfriend. And she's just sitting in there being like, dear God, what do I do now? Um, she thinks there's blood on it, but it's actually just lipstick. Uh, and the police say this is obviously lipstick. And there's literally no one who would think this was blood. Um, during one of her mother's visits to Dojun in prison, she recalls how she poisoned both of them when uh, he was five to kill both of them. But she cheapened out uh, both because of their circumstance. They didn't have that much money. They have not being able to afford the better... Um, I believe it was just like insects, uh, poisoner stuff. And she also wanted to be kind to her son um, while killing her. She didn't want him to be in pain. Um, but instead, they were just vomiting and pooping for several days. Uh, she, op- she offers uh, to use acupuncture, which she does on the side without a license, uh, to make him forget the memory of being poisoned, which later sets up for the scene with her on the bus um, at the end. But it causes a rift between them and Zeg because he asks her if she was going to kill herself at all. Um, she asks around town about Ajung, and people say that she was sleeping around, including with the man who escaped uh, the sanatorium, who they hear about a little bit earlier. Uh, she learns that the camera shop owner, uh, Ajung, had frequent nosebleeds and had pics, uh, pictures on her phone that she wanted printed, um, and she took pictures of her partners for blackmail. The uh, camera shop owner is actually Jean Mi Son, who we saw in Memories of Murder. She played, um, what is his name? The main guy's uh, girlfriend, later wife. Um, I don't remember. I was like trying to figure out his, the actor's name. Uh, Sung King Ho. What? No. Yeah, right? Oh, Memories she's Sung King, she's, she's King, King Ho's girl. Not yes. saying Sung King Ho is in this movie. Okay. Yes, correct. Sorry. Nope, we're, we're on the same page now. Um, after that, she, uh, mother meets a homeless collector who said that she saw Ajung call Gojun the R-word. Um, and I don't know what that translates into in, uh, from Korean, but they translate it as that. Um, presumably it is a, a slur of uh, equal 
um, equal harm. Um, he doesn't like being called names at all, uh, so he chucks a rock toward her, which kicks her in the head, um, and that is what what kills her. Uh, Mother does not believe this, uh, so she's just kind of frantically denying it, and he finally picks up the phone to call the police. Uh, she beats him with a wrench uh, and kills him, and then um, as she is trying to uh, clean up, she she finally kind of loses it and like calls out to her mother being like what do, what do i do um what can i do um and you can see as her emotion jokes back and forth between logical and emotional um you can see that on her face but also in the korean she is switching between formal and informal speech which i thought was a very interesting um interesting note from from the book um but eventually she just burns down the entire goddamn building there is, this is also the one scene, yeah, as I uh, said, where she is just completely emotionally overwhelmed. Uh, she has a singular focus toward Gojun throughout the whole movie, um, but in this point, she she doesn't know what to do. She has finally done something that is uh, unthinkable as what Gojun has done, um, but her in her right mind and Gojun with um, his disability. Uh, so the police catch up with uh, Jean Paul, who is the person who escaped the sanatorium and was going out with Ah Jong, or at least having sex with her. Uh, he actually has a worse in- intellectual disability than Go Jung, and they found Ah Jong's blood on his shirt. Mother realizes that this is actually from her nosebleeds; it's not from her uh, him killing her. And she cries after Jean Paul says he has no mother to fight for him. So, mother realizes that uh, her son is going to be freed for a crime that he did commit, and Jean Paul is going to be put into prison for a crime that her son committed uh, because of this circumstantial evidence. But Dojun is freed, and Jing Tai goes to pick him up. They stop at the burn building, and Dojun finds his mother's acupuncture needles there. And then at the end, Dojun uses that. If uh, someone saw Ah Jung hurt, they would drag her up to the top of the building so people could see her and help her as soon as possible. So none of this was done in um, in malice from Gojun, you can tell, but it's just a, a series of unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances that led to um, Ah Jung's untimely death, um, where she has just kind of reached her limit in dealing with people at all. Um, she seems to be in a lower, um, financial stakes, so she is forced to do a lot of these things, sleeping around for not even just money, but, like, a bag of rice. Um, and Dojun is just the guy who is in the wrong place, called the wrong word at the wrong time. Um, but this is, uh, Karen Hunt describes it as Bong Joon-ho's bleakest film. Even in the uh, some of the other ones that we've seen and will see, like with Parasite and Snowpiercer, you see a kind of uplifting ending, even in these terrible circumstances. But this one, it's just like, no, uh, everyone, everyone's kind of in a worse place than they were at the beginning of the movie. Um, but I, it's still a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, I liked this one a lot. I liked the, the singular focus of the mother to just like save... Her son, like you can tell, the the maternal instincts coming out of her throughout the entire movie. But what do you two think? I I I I loved it. I this this movie was fantastic. 
I had actually like intentionally avoided watching it for a few years, not because of any logical reason, but I thought I had already seen it because um, there's a, another Korean movie that came out just a couple years later from director Kim Ki-duk called Paeta, which is about a mother um, doing fucked up shit. Um, so I thought they were the same movie, and it, it was just like now they were translating Paeta into mother or something. I thought, you know, I don't know why I thought that, but I didn't really like look into it, or maybe I did and I forgot. So I just was like, I've already seen that, and it was really good. Uh, no, no, I hadn't. Um, but there were moments while watching this movie that I was like, I swear I've seen that clip before. I, like, there's bits and pieces on here that I, I think I picked up somewhere via osmosis um, over the years. I don't know. I don't know how. But no, this was really, really good. I, I when I first was watching it, the first thing that that struck me as immediately curious and like, oh, interesting, is this, it's basically the setup and the structure is the same as Memories of Murder, but from a flipped perspective. Uh, So Memories of Murder, we were with the cops who torture, beat, and get false confessions out of people all the time. And the first innocent person that the cops bring in and beat a confession out of was a mentally disabled member of the village. Um, and that, that ended poorly for everybody involved. And so it was like, with this, with this movie, Bong Joon-ho was revisiting that section of Memories of Murder, but instead of from the cop's point of view, let's put it from the victim, uh, the, disab- uh, the disabled person and his family, let's put it from that perspective. And so that that level of familiarity um, with in in conjunction with memories of murder. So like when you see him being you know berated by the cops, you don't see the cops beat him. The cops don't do anything violent, but they are very much guiding him into a false confession. So you you are you're on the side of the mother. You're on the side of Dojun. Um, where you you also think, well, he has to be innocent. You completely forget that he's basically Jojo from part four when someone makes fun of his hair. Um, You you, you call him the R word, you disrespect him because of his disability, and it just flips a switch. And you see it happen once at the beginning of the movie, but it doesn't doesn't stick um, as being like, no, he's totally capable of violence because we've seen it. Um, we still are are sympathizing with him as this pitiable disabled person who obviously could not hurt a fly, and that's what his mother claims to as well. And that's a really interesting way of framing perspective. We talked about this when we did uh, the the Le Doulou, uh Jean Pierre Melville film um, next week, a week ago technically an hour ago, um, the, the way that film is able to craft perspective. And this film does an excellent job of using memories of murder and using basic uh, human sympathy and empathy to, to craft a perception so that when we learn, like, no, Dojun actually did kill this girl, it's, it's like, it's not so much crushing 
as it feels like a betrayal of everything we understand uh, and or not what we want to see in the world. You know, we understand the world to be awful, but like we also understand that not everything is awful, and we want certain elements to maintain a level of goodness. And this film really plays off of those built-in desires and perceptions. And so you you just you feel so betrayed um, when you learn that Dojun really was guilty of killing this girl, and then and then the mother straight up just murders dude mercilessly. You're like, oh, this is this is getting out of control really really fast. Um, and then the ending of the film, it's that's really that like I agree, like this may be his bleakest film. Parasite wasn't really bleak. Like it, Parasite had a lot of bleak stuff to it, but when you get to the end of the film, you're kind of like, okay, we're doing, we're 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 able to to see something on the other side. Snowpiercer takes place in the future and is really bleak. Um, Okja, a lot of terrible stuff happens. Um, Memories of Murder was really bleak um, and ended on a really bleak note. But there's something with Mother. It's it's that betrayal. It's that wow. This this got really fucked up really fast, and that's why it feels so dark in its conclusion because you're not left with a good feeling. Like the people that you had, you were in the corner of, are are the are the bad guys, and you're left in a place where an innocent man is going to jail, and the bad people aren't going to do anything about it because they want to preserve themselves, and that's. That's sad, man. Uh, excellent movie. Just super, super fucking good. Um, the, the opening scene with her dancing in the field is a really, it's a really effective non-sequitur. Um, a, a cold open, if you will. Like, it's, it's very interesting. It pulls you in, and you're like, what's going on? And then when the final scene happens, and you're like, oh, shit. So now my brain is like, what, what other memories has the mother erased that allowed her to live a happy life at the beginning of the film? What additional dark secrets are within this family's history? Um, it's, it's like the, the bad end for eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's excellent. It's just super, super fucking great. Yeah, it was, I mean, this, the the film I really I Bong Joon Ho strung me along like I was enraptured. I'm like this is a, a you know a procedural almost like we're gonna find the real killer. You know this is this is a mother's quest to exonerate her son. He seems like a guy worth rooting for. She seems like a person worth rooting for. You get once you get one scene where you know. He reveals, I know you tried to kill me, but poison me when I was five. And you see, you get that. And it feels powerful, but it also feels bleak. Like this whole setting of their life is bleak and depressing. And that's how I took it. I just took the whole thing as she did that because she knows that she can see how awful the world is at the time. She knows how awful it's going to be to him. She's experiencing that right now with her son in her eyes being at the time what she believes uh, falsely accused and arrested and convicted of murder or going to be convicted of murder. 
And that's the key. Like he's giving you the, the, the he's giving you the answer right there. He's like, she is basically this film's antagonist. Um, she is the person who is covering up memories, doing whatever she can to keep her and her son in a blissful ignorance. Um, and you see how obsessive she is in her hunt for the real killer, and then that to switch once she realizes her son did do it. She has that brief moment of humanity where she realize where like she realizes what she's done. Um, it's all just so well, well put together. I, I was like, I was really blown away. And like, I've, I've seen Parasite. We've seen, you know, his movies up till now, like just so blown away the way he, <laughs> it's just stringing you along in you those you've seen that movie before that movie where the mother gets her like finds the real killer goes on this quest to just completely upend that it just doesn't it, 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 it it's not something i think he knew most people would see coming we're just not geared that way to see that coming um and if you are i mean like if you if you did pick up on it when it's i think the answer is given to you in that scene at the jail when um right when she when when she offers to you know help him forget and um or it's all mentioned and and she says sorry she says something to the effect of i can't believe you remembered this it's like wait a fucking minute <laughs> um and then going around stabbing motherfuckers in the thigh all yeah. day every day yeah <laughs> like it's yeah it's so like you just but but it's quick and it is the answer but then you immediately go back into the hunt the search and then it, you know, it's just so well done. Like, I don't think I don't want to compare it to his other movies too much. I think you know, Parasite strings you along, but it strings you along by just utterly switching genres midway through. Like, fun little romp, and then suddenly you're just like, oh shit, this is real. Like, this movie's real throughout, and then it still manages to completely upend you. Like, so just. The way he de- does it, like, you know, this is where you see not a lot of people can make the movies he makes. Like, he's very singularly skilled at making great films. Um, seen it in the other one, seen it in, in, in Memories of Murder. We saw it in The Host. Like, I think this is really, in terms of just an innate ability to string sh- sh- an audience along, he hasn't shown that before now. And he does it really, in my eyes, perfectly. And one thing. Um, that he's really good at, and I think is very effective in Mother, is uh, a lot of Asian cinema um, from all the various countries. They 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 all have a stronger persuasion towards comedy than America. Like America, if you're going to make a comedy, it's got to be a comedy. If you're going to make a drama, it's going to be a drama. We have dramedies, but they're very much like we were we were funny up to a point, and now we're sad. Um, Asian cinema has this really adept way of being deadly serious, but being constantly humorous at the same time. Uh, Korean movies, Japanese movies, they do it all the time. But there's something special about the way Bong Joon-ho does it that it feels unnaturally organic, if if, if that phrasing yeah, makes sense. It, it felt so grounded and normal, like, this is what would actually, in some, it, like the the humor feel like I, I know I think I know what you're saying. Like the humor feels like the type of humor that would normally happen 
in this event, like the kind of mundane silliness, despite the gravity of the situation. Yeah, it feels it feels very strange. It's very unnatural, but it feels it feels natural at the same time. Very organic. It's not forced comedy. It's these people and their personalities and the situations. Just it's very, like you said, grounded and organic. Uh, but it just it it feels so odd because of the the rest of the film around it. The whole scene at the golf course, like <laughs> he does scenes like that incredibly well, like chase scenes, like it's just amazing at any kind of, as soon as people are running, you're just like, oh man, Bong Joon-ho is directing a scene where people are running, you know, it's going to be good. Funniest golf course chase scenes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Have any of you guys seen, um, what is, oh shit. It's not American Ninja. J- yeah. Just Ninja three, Ninja three, the domination. I'm that. Not. No. That is an incredible golf course scene at the beginning. Totally different league, uncomparable. Yeah, Bong Joon-ho probably nails it better, but you got to check out the golf course scene in Ninja 3. <laughs> I also liked... He, this This was a little less overt in, in his dislike for people in positions of power. Um, I think because he took them... He kept them in the background as best he could. But when... Her son's arrested, and she's like, you know him. You know he's not capable of violence. And and the officer, and I forget his name, basically says, like, yeah, well, you know, if I spend too much time on this, like, that's uh, that's just time, I extra time I have to work. It's, like, a very, like, overt, like, of course he's just going to, you know, want to wrap the case up because he's got other cases to get to, and he doesn't like to work, you know, more than eight hours a day or something. Like, very much like Bong Joon-ho commenting, like giving you commentary on, on that that kind of philosophy of it. It's just their job, and they do treat it as just their job. And what that means is, you know, if this gets me at home earlier, I might as well go with this way. Like, I don't want to be on the road doing solving crimes every minute of every day. Like, I, I think you know that compared to how a lot of these detectives are depicted in cinema, where and and everywhere, where like. They're sleeping two hours a night. Their host, their house looks like a beautiful mind as they try to solve the case. Like the the cops in Bong Joon Ho's films are less concerned about justice um, than what propaganda in America likes to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a very uh, very intended uh, view that Bong is is putting into his films. The one thing I really like, I didn't, I thought you were going to say it when you were talking about the cop talking to the mother, but like basically like the thesis of the film is in like the first 15 minutes right after do do Jun gets arrested she's talking to uh not the the cop who's the lead cop but his supervisor who is is there in most of the scenes and and he tells her he's like anyone can commit a crime and you, our brain is like no not anyone can commit a crime and the film goes to show you anyone can commit murder anyone can commit a crime even um, if it's like as unintentional and I mean I would not say innocuous, but like relatively innocuous as Dojuns. Yeah. I would also I also had another note about the attorney. And like that's very that's clear a like fucking dude. That guy, like he was in that guy was inserted into that movie specifically because like the the way that I interpreted him is he is the most gifted attorney there is, like in that area. Like he's really, really good and does really, really good work. But the guy is just like money. Like the, he doesn't work for free. 
I mean, it not just doesn't work for free. Like he's going to charge the most money because he knows he's the best. And like he sees, uh, he just sees like this as a situation that he can kind of you know cash cash out on quickly. Like oh, we'll just get him in the just send him off to a mental hospital for four years. Everything will be fine. Like yeah, like like he's, he's so nonchalant it. about it. Like that's just what I'm going to do. Like look, I'm the great attorney. Listen to me. Yeah, he's the, the easiest case scenario for to yeah. get him the the best option that he sees based on he committed this crime. That whole scene where that fucking lawyer calls her and he's I'm struggling to remember it so I'm probably wrong but my memory is like he's in bed with like women all around him or at a restaurant or something yeah. restaurant. Yeah, and it's just like what a douchebag. Yeah, and that's like the th- I mean, it just really stuck with me because like I feel like it is a, it wants like it, the movie is establishing he is actually very very good at what he does like defending people like very very good and but like he's got that sniff of money and he's just like not working for free not even working for a reasonable price like he's gonna be out doing his debauchery in his free time be- but like it just I think Bong Bong is very much aware of that and i think as he's gotten old, he was getting older and he was seeing people like you know people he thought were of the the same mindset as him like get that sniff of money and just completely you know flip in their their justification of actions i think that's he's he's the insert for that um i think you got it a little bit in the host as well um but yeah again like his politics into his movie i think this is maybe less less focused on people in power than uh, than his previous works um especially memories of murder and the host but it's still there uh he's yeah. not going to shy away from making that commentary yeah i mean it's much less specifically korean i would say based on the previous things that we've gone through it's much more of a, a commentary on the general incompetencies or uh, yeah, lack of caring from police and lawyers. L- lack of caring. That's yeah. That's a really a way to put it. Lack of caring. Like, like everyone will will step up to the plate for this if, if they feel that it's worth the effort. But they don't feel that it's worth the effort. They look at him and they're like, you know, they're like, this guy's, you know, he definitely did it. The golf ball was there. I don't really feel like wasting my time on this. Like, he can't even he he can't even really speak up for himself. So what's the point? Like it was all very like yeah you know people are callous about it um, and then again like that really plays into the the twist of sorts because you're just being shown time and time again the whole deck is stacked against against them against uh, um, shit against everyone in the, like against the mother and everyone but mm-hmm. wait a minute actually you had the wrong antagonist yeah these people suck but uh, you know Dojun and and mother like they're or at least mother is like the clear central antagonist of the movie. Um, um, what else? Oh, I also, I did love, um, the Jin Tae, the whole sequence with Jin Tae getting like, she's in the closet while, while he's having sex. And then she's trying to sneak out of the room with the water bottles, like very fun. And then she, with the golf club and she's like running with the golf club, covers it up with that glove so that the, the blood stays on. And then like, at the police station, like he's just hanging out with Jinte's just hanging out with the cops, and they're like, 
he's showing all the videos of the girl. Like, like, like it's really just kissing so, the golf club. Yeah. That was again, like going back to how the comedy just is so like it flows naturally in. Like it was all very yeah, kissing the golf. Like it was all very like just just silly, funny and like, you know, there's there's a there's a message there, but you know, also it's like a moment of levity in this this chase. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like a really good thing that Bong does where it's like this is a very solid piece of evidence and they're just like laughing about it and the mother's just devastating product and this is this would be i think a very serious scene in an american production of this but in this one it's just like this comedic moment where it's like mom you're not a you're not a cop you can't do this um but at the same time it's painting the cops as like well you're just gonna believe everybody who has a video with solid evidence like <laughs> Henry Fonda would spend 90 minutes arguing that it's actually blood on the golf club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like the the part where Jun Tae, after you know he decides to help, uh, like he dresses up like he's a reporter. He's even got like the little piece of paper in his hat or some ridiculous shit. Um, this is what my brain is pulling up. I'm probably wrong by the silence, um, but I I really liked all of that stuff with Jun Tae, like actually helping and doing investigative stuff by him pretending to be a cop or a journalist or whatever he was pretending yeah. to be. Yeah. All right. Anything else on Mother before we close it out? Mother seems like it's the sleeper in yeah. in Bong Joon-ho's filmography. Like, people will say, well, Barking Dogs Never Bite is the sleeper. And it's like, yeah, but that 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 movie was weird. Like, it didn't, it, didn't, <laughs> it wasn't very successful at what it was doing. Maybe I need to watch it again. Because it seems weird that there's just one movie this dude made that wasn't that great. And all these other movies are, like, fucking phenomenal. Right. Um, Memories of Murder right after that is an absolute banger. So. Yeah. And so, like, maybe I just need to watch Breaking Dogs Never Bite. But aside from that one, because most people are like, well, I don't like that one. Um, Mother is the one that does not get mentioned. And this was... This this was strong. This was incredibly yeah. good. Yeah, I w- I was surprised because this was def this was definitely one like it never it never seems to be talked about with regards to his movies, mm-hmm. and like this was really really good and like pro I, it's 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 in it's in some ways you know the proto uh, parasite like he's toying with some of the w- conventions that he would um, go forward with there too like um not not entirely um but like this is this is much more like it feels and and is truly a bong juno movie um in the sense like there's only one i could only envision him making the guy who made parasite making this movie yeah yeah and going back to like the comedy aspects of it i mean even in parasite when they're partying at the rich people's house um Parasite they, is Parasite is hilarious until yeah. it's not hilarious. Yeah, they they like get the call. And it's like, can you make Japaguri? And they're like, what what the hell is Japaguri? And like the joke that I didn't understand at the time and Aggie now is that like it's a rich people or at least privileged people food, and these people live in the, the basement apartments. So they're not gonna know what that is. But um, closing out uh, this episode, we are uh, I we've said in the previous two episodes or the next two episodes, depending on again when. This is a release in comparison to the to the next ones that we recorded in this segment or in this uh, stretch of time here. Uh, going to do a horror movie October. Um, I'm going to be talking about, or I'm going to be leading the discussion on, I should say, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, 
the next uh, Bong Joon-ho film for us will be Snowpiercer, which we will talk about in November. Um, Chris and Chris, I'm not excited on what horror movie to watch yet. I think it's going to, I'm going to go from something around body horror, most likely, because I am me. But um, <laughs> be careful. Be careful there. Dana, Dana refuses to watch any, any movie that has a Cronenberg attached to the credit. We can uh, jump people in and out as, as we need to for these ones. It may be a little complicated in our, re- in our recording session, but we'll get it. Yeah. All right. Um, so, horror movie October next month. And, um, Month after that, Snowpiercer. Uh, the month after that will also be in November. Will also be whatever movies that we said on the other two podcasts for Legulu. And someone is watching me. Someone's watching me. Whatever. Um, John Carpenter movie. Uh, God help me. Where can we find everybody on the internet? <laughs> uh, you can find me on all the the things: Twitter, Blue Sky, Letterboxed, and Serialized at Gokufi. Uh Twitter, uh, Letterbox at Antonius Pius, uh, Blue Sky soon coming, forthcoming next next set of episodes. When we do our horror, we will you will hear about Blue Sky from me. All right, you can find me on Twitter X uh, and Blue Sky and Serialized at Taikumenko, T A I I K U M E N C O, and you can find uh, me on Letterbox at Imperius K. Um, I think I should just change my X to like something different for each one. But, um, <laughs> you can find the podcast on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. You can find all the episodes at Taiku Movies on any, on your podcast feeds and TaikuPodcast.com for the websites where I put show notes. Uh, they're very detailed and important. No one reads them, but it's okay. They're for me. Um, Gang of episode. Bunk, you know, is good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> best horror movies of all time according to Rotten Tomatoes. What would you guess number one is? The Shining. No. No? Do they classify Silence of the Lambs as a horror movie? Probably, but it's not in the top ten. It's probably let's see, Alien is a is a typical No. Um, well, I yes, think that is number five. That's number five. I believe it's The Thing. Uh, some people agree, some people don't. The Thing is not in the top ten. Come on. There are like oh, you're on, but see, you're on Rotten Tomatoes, though, yeah, right? Yeah, it's Rotten Tomatoes, so like there are some yeah. absurd movies on here. Yeah, uh, Get Out is probably really up there. Number two. Number two. So what would be number one from a critic perspective? I don't know if it's uh, critic perspective or audience score or a combination. It's, of it's almost always critic uh, okay. score. Um, well, so, so Get Out was like 96%. 98. 98. Uh, yep. the, the, number, the number one is actually lower than that. So I think this list was aggregated a little earlier. Is it The Exorcist? Uh, Exorcist is not in the top 10. Really? The Quiet Place is number 10, or A Quiet Place is number 10. So It is, it is not a top 10 horror movie. No. <laughs> um, I don't think you would get number three guessing for quite a while. No. Uh, uh, three is Caligari. Oh, yeah, I would not. I've pulled that out of my butt, but that 
that's one of those movies that like it's really really good but i mean it's mm, yeah it does you it you, you you can watch any movie that came out with with sound and be like this is better than caligari <laughs> um but cabinet of dr caligari is a legit masterpiece one of the yeah. best films ever made but like come on yeah yeah great 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 set design maybe the best ever i mean i don't want to go too far but it's certainly yeah. up there so if Caligari is three, Get Out is two, and number one has a lower Rotten Tomatoes score than Get Out, and so we're talking Caligari. Is it straight up 1933 Dracula? Uh, no, that is not on the top ten, but 1922 Nosferatu is number seven. Oh, okay, Nosferatu. Ooh, is it Carl Dreher's Vampire? No. No. <laughs> All right, take it a little bit long. Hold on. Let's go psycho. Psycho. Too late. Too late. I said psycho. Yeah, psycho. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway, this is a very weird list. Like, Lighthouse is number 15. Vampire is number 17. Um, I think I'm going to do Night of Living Dead. I haven't seen that yet. Um, be sure, you know, do the Criterion release. Yeah, I have uh, that. Just buy okay. It. Like, literally don't trust anything else. <laughs> If you find it streaming anywhere that's not the Criterion t- channel, don't trust it. <laughs> that that film was was birthed into the public domain because he forgot to put the copyright on the opening credits. So it has been fucked with and released so many different ways over the past sixty years. Um, like I have a colored version, or I don't know if I still have it. I had a colored version. I had this, they called it like the 30th anniversary, and it had all this weird extra footage that was shot and then just squished into it. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, let, uh, let me know in the scheduling channel whenever you think of it.